from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the Jack and Spike Show. Welcome back to the Jack and Spike Show. Greg Tomlin in for Jack Stein today. I'm Spike O'Neill. Uh, we didn't get to this story last time during our No Stupid Questions segment, and I want to kind of get your take on this, Greg. Uh, a gentleman in Washington, D.C. bought himself a Powerball ticket. Um, and I don't know if you're a lottery guy. Do you play the lottery at all? I do not play the lottery. I, I, my wife won't let me gamble because she feels that our luck is best reserved for important things like health. There you go. And and our children's futures. So we don't. I don't gamble. As either. good a reason as any. Yeah. Um, but I have on occasion snuck out and picked up a ticket when it gets to like a billion dollars. Because then you're more likely to win, right? Right. Wrong. Right. Well, <laughs> well, uh, it's it's that 48 hours, 72 hours. Where you get to dream for a few days. Sure, why not? Right, you get the why, the why not me. Dream a little dream. dream of, of buckaroos. A guy in D.C. bought his lottery ticket, and when he checked the winning numbers on the official Powerball website, there were his numbers. He, winner, winner, chicken dinner. He'd won $321 million. And when he went to, when he went to go to the Washington, or the, uh, Washington, D.C., not our state here, he went to the gambling commission and told him that, oh, no, no. You didn't win. Those aren't the winning numbers. Failhorn.com. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. So, long of the story uh, short, or long story short here is the gentleman is now suing because he feels that he was emotionally abused because the state ran a test on the the lottery numbers and put them on their official website, but kept them and did it the day before the, the lottery drawn for the Powerball drawing of three hundred twenty one million dollars. They then kept the wrong numbers up on the site for 72 hours. Two hours after the drawing number, the drawing was officially done and the number, winning numbers were posted, this guy looks at the official state website and there are his numbers. The Powerball numbers of $321 million. He says he has been, been through hell because he, he, not, he didn't just dream for a couple of days. He, he had it all, $321 million jackpot. He's suing for the entire... Amount that he was uh, assumed had won, given there. He's suing for the entire. He's suing amount. for three hundred twenty-one million dollars. Wow. Now I, I know a little bit about lawsuits, so I tell you this: you never sue for what you want. You aim high, right? You give them a number that's ridiculous, so the judge can come back with a number that's you know. You say, look, I've been harmed to the effect of three hundred twenty million dollars, Your Honor. That's what I was told I'd won from the official state site. You know, and I've, I mean, can you imagine if you've been told you won three hundred? What would you do? I think the state should come back and say, hey, don't look at it that way. Look at it this way. For a 24-hour period, you thought you were a multimillionaire. Right, Wasn't that fun? You Emotional quit. distress. You, you must have been on cloud nine. <laughs> you quit your job. You put a flaming yes. bag of dog poop on your boss's desk. You told your wife oh about my your gosh. mistress. What's so you funny. You bought a Lamborghini. <laughs> when I first heard about this story, look, I'm a child of the 90s, so I grew up with Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Season three, episode 14, winner takes off. So the family, uh, the Fresh Prince family, you had Carlton, Laura, help me out here. You, you didn't watch Fresh Prince? <laughs> Carlton. I'm, I'm supposed to help you out here. Uncle Phil and Aunt Viv, right. and I'm missing one. Okay, so the family has a, a butler named Jeffrey, and in an attempt to get back at him, Will and Carlton gave him a fake lottery ticket and tricked him into thinking that he had won $26 million. Oh my So gosh, as a response, Jeffrey then quits his job <laughs> with the family, and then the boys must convince him to come back. But it's hilarious, and it's a great you know plot line for a sitcom because... It's exactly your premise. Like, what would you do if you think you had won? So Jeffrey 
he goes around the house breaking vases oh, and like uh, <laughs> you know issuing scorn to his employers for years. Exactly right. And then uh, Will and Carlton have to go. We were joking. It was I, a joke. I, how do you unwind that? How do you put the toothpaste back in the tube? Yeah. Okay. But I guess this is a case of life imitating art in a way here, and it's probably I would venture a guess that it's unprecedented. I mean, how is the state supposed to rule on this one? I could grant, yeah, that they were the direct cause of some of his emotional distress, but I don't think you give him $320 million or $32 million. And again, I'm not a lawyer. I can't speak to this with any level of expertise as a layperson, as an average Joe. 500000 bucks. I think that would do oh, the trick. I, give him I, 500k. He should be good to go. Go on your way. Yeah, that's enough to change a life. I, I see. Now we talked about this a little bit sh- before show, and I think the guys do about about five million bucks. Five mil. I really do, because I mean that that kind of two days of my life is different. Everything changes. It's one thing to dream for a couple of days and they don't draw your numbers, but when you start thinking I've hit three hundred twenty one million dollars, mm-hmm. the amount of depression that comes with knowing that you haven't. After you've been told oh by gosh. the official D.C. Office of Lottery and Gaming that for 48 hours you've been told you won over a quarter billion dollars. Spike, whatever happened to Honest Mistake? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, uh, Not with these <laughs> amounts, I guess. I think, I think any lawyer in the country would take this case for this guy. I think this guy's got a valid case of emotional trauma yeah. and distress. I, I, I'm interested to see how this plays out. I could be persuaded either way on this, really. Yeah. I'm not coming down hard I, on I, either side. I don't think he's going to get the 321. It's not like he lied about the square footage of his penthouse. Or anything like that. But, but here's he's, the thing. He's worth about $5 million. Do you, What Thank would you, that Andrew. level of... Uh, here's Let's get into the speculation <laughs> game, the dream game. What would you do with that level of money? Here's what I've learned about cash flow. The lack of it or the abundance of it. Okay. Money in a person's life only magnifies what's already on a person's heart. It doesn't create a different person. It just accentuates who you are to a higher degree. No, you is agree that, with is that? Is that Twain or Nietzsche? That's <laughs> Greg that. Is that Greg saying that? <laughs> Although That's I'm sure I heard stuff. it somewhere. Uh, you know what? But isn't it, that a good theory? It's a, it's a, it's a spot on so brilliant when, theory. So in Fresh Prince, when Jeffrey goes around breaking the vases and giving people a piece of his mind, that's really what's on his heart. Yeah, he hates the those whole people. time, right? Yeah, he truly hates or those people. Or if you're a truly generous, kind, selfless person and you come into a lot of money, you'll probably continue continue on that path just more in an accentuated way. Yeah, You'll I, give away more of your money. I, I, and I think that's where I would err. Is I, I'm, I, I hope that I am. I consider myself generous to a fault. You wouldn't go I, right to Vegas is what I, you're saying. I, first off, I've made a, I made a <laughs> pact with God that I will never gamble again. I'll tell you that story someday. I mean, I literally got on my knees in front of a TV set watching a football game I'd bet on, put my hands together and said, God, give me this and I'll never bet again. And as I said Are it, you being serious? I am serious. I have as, a very similar story. I'm I, not even kidding as with As I you. said it, God raised, the, official, the referee raised his arms into the sky <laughs> toward God and I said, that's it, I'm done. I wouldn't go to Vegas. Um, but I think you're right about it. Money just is an amplifier. It's a magnifying yeah. glass. I mean, Jack and I have gotten into a heated discussion on this. I feel the same thing about alcohol. I oh. think alcohol is only a, a, a personality magnifying glass. Ooh. I think pleasant people are mm. pleasant drunks. Angry people are angry drunks. I think it doesn't bring out, it brings out the worst or the best in someone. It doesn't change someone. And I think you're spot Gosh, on about that's money. That's interesting. I only think that rule applies if you're used to the effects of alcohol. If you're a newbie to alcohol... I think you just lose all your sense of reasoning you, and common you, sense. Yeah, but don't you got to be a hugger by nature to be a hugging drunk? Yeah, but then that hugging can go to groping real oh, quick. Well, okay, fair <laughs> enough. But that somewhere in the, in the back of your, was a little groper in there just being, okay, I see what you're being held captive by your reason and right. common sense. Okay, let's go on to the science of the day. The 50-year the achievement for America I mentioned earlier is that we have landed on the moon. Wow. Okay, a private company... 
of because the, the government is getting into funding and hiring private industries to do space exploration because yeah. if we're going to send money all over the globe to be America, the world's police or the world's watchdog or whomever, the world's breadbasket, the world's humanitarian cause, if we're going to be a leader in the world, we got to cut budget somewhere, and they've decided it's space. When I went to the Kennedy Space Center last year, uh, Elon Musk's presence is uh, palatable, oh, I think absolutely. is the term, yeah, everywhere, everywhere at the space station. Yeah. And right across the street, literally right across the street, is a massive Blue Origin building. So wow. you've got government and private industry right there. So I, it's I just think that's to, as it should be. Yeah. Yeah, I think to a degree, is, sure. Is there any benefit from us? Uh, we, we land, By the way, we did it. We landed on the moon successfully. We landed on the moon! Woo, thank what you. was once a punchline in the movie Dumb and Dumber is now a reality of life in 2024. I don't, I have to confess, I don't necessarily see the utility in this exercise, okay. although I could see a person coming back to me, as you did during show prep and saying, that's what 16th century explorers were told right. by Why the masses. Why go to the new world? We've yeah. got everything we need here. I just, I don't see it. Um, we stopped going there 50 years ago. First time we went up, it was wonderful, viewed by hundreds of millions of people all around the world. Uh, Louis Armstrong issues those famous words. Uh, I'm just kidding. I know who it was. <laughs> Neil Armstrong. I was going to then make him a fake quote, but I, I decided to cut the bit halfway through. Okay, but by the third mission of the moon, Americans had already lost interest. I mean, they were playing golf up there. They were having a great time. Yeah. And they're like, let's get some gray rocks and bring them back. Um, I, I hear you. And, and what I understand the mission for land, because a lot of countries, by the way, are trying to do this. A lot uh -huh. of different, I mean, China's crashed into the moon. India's crashed into the moon. No one has successfully landed and then retrieved a vehicle. This was an unmanned vehicle, obviously. Right. Uh, that, that you can land on the moon and then successfully relaunch the moon and return to Earth safely. That's the, the goal here. And I, I guess the goal is to, long, is to take supplies to the moon is the reason that this particular mission. And, and I don't know if they – because you said, what, you know, I don't want to live in a space colony. To, to reference Heck our earlier conversation. To the no. I don't either. I think those – did you see the movie Don't Look Up? I saw Don't Look Up, and there's also a Matt Damon movie called The Martian, where I think uh, he has to live uh, on Mars I, don't for get a time. Me the Martian is one of my all-time favorite movies. Good movie. I love that movie. So here's what I think about space exploration. First off, going to the moon, beating Russia, it gave America a goal. That's what Kennedy— National pride. Na well, national pride, which led to things like the MRI, the personal computer. Velcro, I think. Velcro. I mean, all the things that were required to be developed— Invented, but those engineered. were a byproduct. That wasn't well, no, that's, that's my point yeah. exactly. Yeah, you know who knows what what technology will be gleaned from. I see private exploration of space that can make uh, make everyday life better. I like the who, term who gleaning, knows? but rather than hoping with crossed fingers that there'll be some other technological advances that we might benefit to indirectly from these space programs, why not just spend the billions and gajillions down here on Earth with all the problems we have right now anyway? Desalinization of fantasizing ocean water, about two hundred right? years from now maybe living on Mars just let, let seems give, like a useless exercise. Let me give you a hypothetical. What if we are taking supplies to the moon because we are going to develop on the moon a power source, a uh, nuclear power source. I'm listening. Can, that we can then beam power or maybe a, a solar power source that we can then you know find mechanisms and technology that sends this limitless power back to Earth. Solar flares have been in the news as of late. I mean, I don't know, discount it. I, I, I am of I am of the Star Trekian mentality. Here we go. That we will uh, solve the problems before we kill ourselves on this planet. Is that the gist well, of Star Trek? It is that we've gone away from coal fuel, we've gone away from carbon, we've gone away from all these things. We've invented technology. I thought it was just so Captain Kirk could go out all these different planets and make, make out with the it. three he, best. He'd make yeah, out yeah, with yeah. all these women <laughs> on these other planets. Wasn't that di? 
right? DEI and right diversity, equity, inclusion. So ahead of its time. Kirk would grope anybody. I, I don't care. I, I think there were some power dynamics <laughs> at play there. First interracial kiss in to, television, by the way. I, yes, that is Kirk true. Kirk and Uhura, right? Gene mm-hmm. Roddenberry invented the door you go through every day at any store you go into. Groundbreaking. That automatic sliding, of sh- sh- that door, mm. right? That was invented by Gene Roddenberry's imagination, a door that opened up as you walked up to it. That's what I'm saying about science it benefits us day to day, every day, huh. in every aspect of our lives. I'm all for landing on the moon. Plus, we did it in China. Didn't wait. You're, you're so all for there. landing on the moon now. Yes. Oh, boy. absolutely. I think I think this this latest endeavor to be able to go and and use the moon for whatever it may. Maybe we're going to make it a landfill. You know, oh, we're worried about you're worried about world's most the, expensive landfill. Not even the world's most the the universe's most expensive okay, landfill. If, if you lived in the shadow of Hanford and you've realized that those storage tanks are seeping into your water base, wouldn't you rather those storage tanks were on wait, the moon? Wait, wait, hold on, Hanford. Yeah, have you ever heard of it? <laughs> Hanford, Wikipedia. <laughs> Come on, the Hanford Reach, the nuclear facilities in Hanford have a problem with the the nuclear waste oh, being those stored, ones. being yeah. stored in Hanford, leaching through the storage tanks into the ground. And what do we do with this? Doesn't stuff? sound good, right? It's got ten thousand years of of afterlife. Mm-hmm. The glass that they're trying to they're trying to find ways to take these most. And now that we're talking about getting away from fossil fuels and going more toward, Jack's a big proponent of nuclear energy. Where are you at on that? Nuclear energy, I'm all for it. Yeah, so. That this creates some of the most dangerous byproduct in our in our history. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice to just sink it into the moon, shoot it out into right? space? Why the moon though? I well, mean, because send it to the Milky Way. Eventually, because because you get hit by an asteroid, that it breaks filthy. open, comes back down to us. You, you put you on the moon. Clearly, know more about this. I've seen the movie Armageddon. Does that love relate? The love of some of the worst Aerosmith ever made. I've seen the right stuff. I've seen. I love the right stuff. Okay. Uh, That's a, my expertise. <laughs> I love it, man. All right. We never even got to, uh, well, this this uh, maybe the most important subject we had today. Maybe we have time. We Okay. What do you teach? Your, what's, what is important to teach our kids in school? There's an effort right now to teach kids in our Washington State school system computer sciences. Is that, is that. Uh, and making it mandatory yes. for It'll all certainly kids? help us get to the moon. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, masterful (laughs) segue. Computer science education bill would require all graduates of Washington State schools to learn computer sciences. Isn't that the the platform with with which we will all be doing business and life and everything? They're saying this is the new literacy. Computer literacy. That is, um, okay. I think we should focus on the basics first. I know during the pandemic. Yes. English language studies, uh, math, science. Maybe some of this was a byproduct of the pandemic, but test scores plummeted in recent yeah. years. I've read a few stories saying mm, maybe they're coming back a little bit. But just do the basic things right. And I think before you teach computer science, financial literacy is essential. And it has been overlooked for far too long in elementary school, junior high, and high school. So computer science, I don't know if everybody's going to go into that field necessarily. No, I agree. But I think that field will reach in everybody's lives, whether they're in the field as a business or a career But that's why you take typing classes. Good luck. Well, okay. But but aren't you just typing into a computer? Isn't computer literacy involve a typing class, right? Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess how broadly do you... in elementary school, right? Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, well, I took it in seventh grade. Did you get home in grade? Of course we taught you typing. That's what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> right. I'm kidding. I kid. I kid, people. Oh, oh that's goodness. that fine line Please. between comedy. Okay, yeah, got you know, it. Great. Why Thank have women in public places? <laughs> why have, why <laughs> have women vote? <laughs> so let me... Hey, what do you think about... I, I love that you're here because I get to explore a whole new point of view, which is wonderful. Greg Tomlin's in for Jack Stein today, if you haven't noticed. Uh, what do you think about teaching history that embarrasses or... 
uh, shames kids. I mean, I, I'm, embarrasses I'm, or shames. Well, kids. I'm talking about you know uh, what's it called? Uh, not the, not the EI. Oh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank because it's such a hot topic uh, in in the South. What is a uh, Jim Crow laws? No, 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 no. It's think Florida. Think Governor DeSantis. What's he? Critical race theory. When you can't teach accurate history because it okay. will make some kids in class feel shamed. And I'm, I'm not just pointing fingers at, at conservatives who don't want their kids to learn. Like in Texas where you teach about what wonderful benefits slavery gave to Africans. I see what you're saying. Okay? Also, I also don't want teachers to put kids in white groups and black groups and make kids feel ashamed because your ancestors were white right. and your ancestors owned th- that half of the class. We, we won't have nearly enough time to fully flesh out this topic. It's actually one of my favorite discussions, obviously, because I have okay. elementary school kids and, and you're and a kid in junior buff. high. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, but I, I think it's a nuanced response in, in this regard. And that is, I, I was once talking with a friend about this very subject, and he said, what would happen if the first thing we taught students was that all our founders were slaveholders? Like, that's the first thing we just said is they're slaveholders. And I said, it's true. A lot of them were. Not, 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 all, of, not all of them, but a lot were. Okay, it's a true fact of history. But why wouldn't it be the first thing you teach because the enduring legacy of the founding fathers is not a society in which we continue to have slavery today and it's a big part of everyday life. The enduring legacy of the founders is the constitutional republic under which we enjoy the countless liberties that we have today. And in fact, yes, some were slave owners, but the Declaration of Independence itself was a time bomb for the country that was set to go off later that helped pave the way to the eradication of slavery and the slave trade in America. And so, yes, you teach that um, in a delicate way about history, but you do it um, at an age appropriate point. In one, the edge, at right. an age appropriate yeah, time and two, um, in a proportion that's commensurate to its actual effects. Did it have a huge historical impact? Absolutely. Study the Civil War and sure. the suffering of millions well, of people the, the for hundreds of years. The economic growth that led to who we are as Americans was but, based on slavery. But you also need to teach kids, guess what? Culture changes, right. values change, right. and the founders did not invent slavery. They inherited slavery. Yeah, yeah, so here, if here. you were a person who was born at that time and you had inherited that institution, would you be so quick to condemn it offhand? It would be like Breathing air to you, you wouldn't know any other different system. That's right. It's, it, it, and so they had the well foresight, put. though, to say all men are created equal, knowing fully the consequences that would come later from making that profound statement. Have in you the ever thought of document. running for school board or <laughs> school board? I mean, no. you, seriously, <laughs> no, I, I love Lord, your point no. of view on things, and that's also why, by the way, in my opinion, Constitution is a living, breathing, evolving document. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of the originalists. Oh, I'm a textualist. Ori- origi- really? Three-fifths? <laughs> we could go all day on this. I love this job. Uh, it's the Jack and Spike Show with Greg Tomlin fitting in. Filling in. I say fitting in. You are fitting in nicely, too, by fitting the way. Fitting Well done, my friend. When we come back at 2.30, uh, after the quick bit of news here, uh, Greg asked me if I could... We're going to indulge Greg and me. We're going to leave the we're gonna leave the news world for a while and talk about life. I want to hear about your music making. Yeah, you want to hear about uh, my band, which I think is a a charitable act on your part. We'll be right back after these. Welcome back to the Jack and Spike Show. Greg Tomlin in for Jack Stein today. Jack's taking a three-day weekend to go help a good friend. I love that about him. Guy gives and gives. Nice bump, Andrew. What band is this? Uh, Who is it? Uh, Marcus Marr. All right. I don't know who it is. Duly noted. Uh, Greg, Greg, segue there, Greg. Uh, we're going to talk bands a little bit here. Greg was very kind during the pre-show meeting today. We asked if we could talk about the Impalers, my band. Spike and the Impalers. Years. Yeah. 
Um, Your reputation precedes you. (laughs) Well, uh, it's funny. We've been doing this for about 25 years. We started uh, as a station promotion, and it's kind of just survived. And what do you want to know? Yeah, look, we've gone through a lot of weighty subjects today. Cancel culture, moral relativism, financial literacy, kids and social media. But I want to take this. Just to name a few. I'm really scratching the surface. (laughs) Um, But I want to take guest host privilege for a second and just pick your brain a little bit about Spike and the Impalers. Because I, too, am in a band we formed about a year and a half ago. My first question for you is. Well, hold on. What's the name of your band? Promote your band. Okay, sure. Shameless plug time. Yeah. Between two Gregs. Some people will get that. Other people will not. Is that a Between Two Ferns reference? Yeah, it's it a is. riff on Between Two Ferns. I got love it. it. Okay. Um, and it's the best musicians I've ever played with, and we're just kind of getting into the starting to book a lot of venues phase. Right, right? on. But for uh, a guy who's been in a band for over two decades, right? I mean, that's an unbelievable success. I mean, most popular bands might last a couple years, maybe a one-hit wonder, and then something or other gets in the way, whether it's a relational thing or right. people move in and out. So how long has the core band been in place and has there, for spiking the Impalers, have you had people come and go, instrumentalists, vocalists? Constantly, yeah. You uh, have, okay. We've had, um, the only founding member still with the band is Jeff Kathan, who's our drummer. When we started this band, we were at KZOK, uh, Bob Rivers show, the morning show inside. We've been doing Twisted Tune parodies uh, for decades. We've been we'd putting out albums on Atlantic Records. And we decided, Bob's like, we should be doing this in front of people as a station promotion. Uh So we went to the audience and said, we'd like to form a band. Anybody out there is is a musician. We had three guys reach out to us. Jeff Kathan, our drummer. uh, Lynn Lynn Sorensen was our initial bass player. And a guy named Joe Shikani. These three guys were Paul Rogers of Bad Company and Free, who played Uh Woodstock. Bad Company's lead singer, Paul Rogers. He, when he toured as as a solo artist, this was his band. And they were listeners to our morning show. Got it. And they became our core. And we had auditions from members of the audience to play guitar. We got a Dudley Taft who was in a band called Sweetwater. And you had always been a singer? Uh, I, I had been a bar singer when I met Bob. Okay. I was a bartender who would get up and sing with the band in the bar to meet women, <laughs> to be completely <laughs> fully transparent. Um, and I got to do song parodies with Bob. And Bob's like, you can do a lot of different voices. We, could, we Let's sing live. We put the band together. To your question about original members, people have come and gone as the band has... Has evolved. One of our first guitar players was a kid named Ian Crawford, who was 16 when we met him. He went. He got poached by Panic at the Disco. I've he, heard of them. He left our band to go tour with that because nice. those guys are, are nice. studio musicians, and when they tour, they build touring bands. So we've had people come and go. We've we've got a, some brilliant talent in the band right now, um, but we just kept going. And so the, I love a good origin story. So thank you for that. And by the way, the busy season is coming up. Am I correct? In festival that, season. Yeah. Festival season. Yeah. Yep. Summers is when yep. things really heat up. And so after 20 years of playing in this group with a somewhat rotating cast of characters with the essence still there, would you call, because I'm in a cover band, but when I say that, I almost sounds like it, it's a pejorative. Really? Well, it, uh, because there's a spectrum, are, are you right? A, you're not in a tribute band? Well, so a tribute band, you have to honor a specific band and right. only that band. Right, right. That, okay. that's the definition of a tribute band. But a cover band. band, I feel like there's a negative inclination, right, when you hear it, because the spectrum is people that just barely know how to play chords and are singing along to something the best they can. Or there's the other side of that spectrum, which is like a cover band that gets every note and the precision and accuracy yeah. is meticulous and beautiful. Yeah. And when I watch Spike and the Impalers, I go, 
okay, that's that other level of. Would you call yourself a cover band? Absolutely. Yeah, but but you <laughs> go that extra pride. length where you're like the solos, the guitar tone is right on, your voice is right on pitch, and then you get the much bigger venues and stuff like that. So has that always been a priority to where you're like, guys, we're gonna go above and beyond. It's not gonna be just that band that like plays a few chords and can kind of get the words well, out. People ask me all the time, why don't we play original songs? You know? Yeah. And, right. And I'm like, why would anybody care to hear about my point of view when I could give you the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin or ACDC or whomever, Pink Floyd, whatever we play? We we have the greatest music ever written to draw from. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and but it's also a tall order because it's some of the best singers ever, the best guitarists ever and things. Like, and you want to do it justice, right? Right. Absolutely. And, and you asked me, you know, do we play for ourselves or you know, do we play songs we like? Do we play songs? That we think the audience will like that kind of, which where's, I thought was, where's the balance? Well, I, I think first off, you you only play the songs that highlight what you do best. Uh, I, I don't want to play something that that might be technically difficult or good. might impress the audience. If we can't do it justice, that's all they're going to care. They don't care. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. I couldn't hit the notes. Our guitar player couldn't cover the lead. That nobody wants to hear us play great music badly. So okay. we, we 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 take it by what what highlights our skill set the most. Given what, that, what shows off? What it, the best? What has been like the one or two go tos for you as a singer for two, three decades? Um, ACDC. ACDC. That's I, some I, of the hardest stuff in the world I, I, to sing. I, I hate to tell you this. I auditioned for. <laughs> I, I got to audition for ACDC. Oh, seriously? I, got I did to not audition. know that about when, you. When Brian Johnson was sent away for a while because he had lost his hearing, which was why he lost his ability to, to, to sing ACDC, they brought in Axl Rose. You remember those years? ACDC brought in Axl Rose okay. to cover. Um, we had had the opportunity to meet Chris Slade, the drummer of ACDC's Thunderstruck, Razor's Edge album, from wow. originally from Man for Man's Earth Band. Chris Slade had played with our band at a couple charity gigs, and this is all through my dear friend Alan White, former uh, the, the late Alan White of Yes, who was a local. Um, he got me an audition with ACDC through Chris Slade, and I got to audition for Angus and Malcolm. Okay, and, you got the bona fides. You got the music bona fides. Well, that, there. that one I can do. It was funny. I'll, I'll tell you this story, and I'm embarrassed to tell this story. I want to hear about. I'll, t- I won't, I'll tell you after. I'll tell <laughs> I you love off hearing air. this stuff. I'll <laughs> tell you off air. <clears throat> okay. Well, tell me about Between Two Gregs. Okay, Between Two Gregs is just a couple of friends that love playing music together and realize, uh, like you just said, we have some songs that we actually think we sound really good on, and we want to start playing for people. And it's just a hell of a lot of fun too. And as a musician, I've always been. I relate this to ping pong, right? When you play ping pong with someone, if you're really good and they're right. not that great, it's just not, it's not that, a lot of fun. It's not that fun. No, no the step bending over to pick up now, the ball every two seconds. It's really fun if you play ping pong with someone who's the same skill level as you. You go right. back and forth. For me, the most fun is to play ping pong with someone who's better than me. Right, because you got to raise your game. Because it forces me to raise my game, right. and I get invigorated by that. So this is the first group of musicians I've ever played with where I go, I need to raise my game. And that excites me to no end because you know this full well, right? In any band practice or time you're fleshing out a song or something like that, there's nothing worse than having to stop to work on a person's given parts and then you're dragging the whole practice down. This is going to take six hours. But if everybody just knows their crap right out the shoot, the possibilities are endless for you. And that's the way I feel in this group that I've gotten together with. But since we've only been formed for like a year... I'm wondering, like, how do we break through on the the booking scene? And, okay. uh, you know, do we send them studio stuff we recorded? Do we send them live stuff? Do we need, like, a booking agent? And so I, I guess, I yeah, it the is. Most, the most important thing you'll ever hear right now? <laughs> uh, yes, please. Um, uh, it, it, no matter how good the band is, if the sound guy sucks, if the system is bad, oh you're going to suck and look bad. 
a thousand amens. I mean, Spike, you know, I've long it's, it's thought all, that. It's all about what where, where you mix. play. Yeah, we got a stage. It's like a, yes. a, a plywood or milk crates. It's not a stage. So true, right? You know, so so do yourself a favor and meet somebody who knows your band and knows your sound because you don't know how can, it sounds on stage, right? And can dial your sound in because right. a very talented band, poorly produced and poorly. You know, sound engineer, the front of house guy, it's going to kill you. You're going to sound like garbage. We've sounded like absolute pud <laughs> on, on, on numerous nights because we had a, we we use someone else's sound guy, and you know, it just you can't get in front of the. It's, who is this? Nice. This is you guys. Oh, oh nice. this is us. Oh, this is us at, at uh, Holly Magic. Yeah. Susan Kendall Marais. This year? Yeah. Oh, killer. Singing, Su- Susan singing for us. Well, that's me going, ooh, ooh, that's horrible. Well, let's play some between two Gregs. Have we got any Gregs? Break it! Yeah. Oh. So this is a studio recording. No, this was you guys live. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Crossroads, ambitious. <laughs> right, it is. I yeah, know. No, it's a great song. And that's the other thing. You know, I said you know, we play covers. You have the best music of all time to play. True. Play songs the audience loves. But we try to, we're not going to play Mustang Sally for anybody. We're not going to do Brown Eyed Girl. We're mm-hmm. not going to do Freebird. We're not going to do The Pedestrian. Every band does this song. We like to pick right. a little more eclectic, a little more album cuts if we can. But it's songs people know by heart and they but, love by heart. But then you got to really hit them. It was so exactly right. If you're playing some of the B-sides or the obscure tracks or the ones that weren't top 10 Billboard hits or something like right. that, then the most important part is the execution. Right. If you're playing a number one Billboard hit, I almost think in a way you can get away with not totally crushing it, it your own little because bit. it's so iconic in right. people's minds. Right. They just like the fact that they know it. Right. Right. <laughs> Anyways, we I could go do, with you for right. hours. We used to do this. all the way to Memphis. You know that song by Mata Hoople. Okay. If you heard it, you'd know it, right? Sure. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we'll bump back with yeah, it. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Just, that's so sweet of you to ask. That was fun uh, we, for we've me. We've got one more segment here. Uh, Greg Tomlin's in for Jack Stein today. When we come back, um, Greg told me a little because I don't really know you that well. I'm getting to know you. Uh, but what's the musical? Getting to know you? Uh, getting getting to know right. you. I know you know this. The getting King to and I. know more about you. I have no clue. The King and I. Come on. Man. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Uh, Greg says he used to count cards. Which is the kind of thing that gets your hand cut off in Vegas. I want to know more when we come back right after this. We put up content constantly on our Jack and Spike Show YouTube channel. You can go there and check it out for you. It's, it's stories that are a little too spicy for on air sometimes. We're a little more irrelevant. Than That's the, a good uh, way to put it. Yeah, right? Yeah. Things that would get Irreverent. Us, things that would get us fired from yeah. 12 to 3. We're a little, a little more acceptable after dark, so... I'll yeah, go there and Jack and check. Spike after dark. There yeah. you go. Oh, we can't go there. Uh, Greg Tomlin, thank you so much for your for your work today. This I've been had a blast. blast. Yeah, um, thank you, Spike. I got to ask you though. You told me kind of off. Just you threw it out there. Uh, I don't know how the subject came up. Oh, it was about the gambling. It was about the lottery ticket. Oh yeah. And you said you used to be a ca- a card counter. I did. Now we're talking about people who like uh, go to a, a casino to Vegas. And they literally play blackjack, and they know what's in the shoot, as they call it, right? In the shoe. because The shoe. Okay, the yeah. shoe. Uh, and that's because they, they know what's been played, they know what's still available, and you use that to your advantage. Yeah. It's not just luck at that point, there's skill involved. So like you, um, in my early 20s or so, I started to develop this weird affinity for gambling. It was bizarre, right? Yeah. So I'm out there at Whitworth <laughs> College in Spokane, and they got a place called Lilac Lanes. And they got blackjack tables and bowling and poker. And I thought, this is a good use of my time for a young 20-something. <laughs> 
and of course, like first night out, you win big, and you think okay. this is a good way to make money in life. As okay. I can come to this, uh, things took a turn south in the years that followed there, right? And I got to my wits end, and like you, I had a similar, pardon the phrase, come to Jesus moment where uh-huh. I was like, I got to stop doing this, but I don't know how I'm going to stop doing it. Got down on my hands and knees and was like. God, I don't know what you want to do with this desire I have. I know it's not a good desire, but rid me of it or use it for good or do something like that. Within a week, this is my origin story of okay. being a card counter, okay? Within a week, I'm at a wedding and I'm overhearing this guy at the table next to me car- talk about a card counting team here in the Northwest. And I went, huh? Because <laughs> I had heard about card counting. I had read about it a little in the past, but I never delved into it. And I just broached the subject with him. We got to talking about it. Within a week, I end up pursuing um, this guy whose name I had heard mentioned who was affiliated with this team. And within a year, I was on this team. It was a $5 million bankroll, and they card counted all over the U.S. And the first night, I got to tell you, when I had tested out, because you got to learn how to card count. Sure. You got to read a book on it. You got to learn the high-low system, which is in blackjack, twos through sixes are your plus one, your 10 through ace is a minus one, and your seven through nines are neutral. Okay. And so as the cards come out, as the count gets really high, you want to bet more, and then there's deviations and all that kind of good stuff. But so I tested out with this team, and the first night, they handed me $30,000 in cash and said, now go out into the world. And and so we would keep record books. I would count um, and make a dollars per hour with team money. Depending on the size of my bets, I would get paid by the team. A sliding scale on how much you were able to take A sliding scale in. for a wage. Okay. So the best weekend I ever did was with a buddy. We went down to Vegas and we made $70,000 in three days. And I was making like 300 bucks an hour for the team. So why the hell are you here? <laughs> <laughs> because I got so sick of the cat and mouse game. What, what do you mean by that? Um, well, I got back roomed at a place that no longer exists in Vegas called the Imperial Palace. So card counting is not illegal, but it's frowned upon like onanism on an airplane. Uh, the famous line from uh, The Hangover. Uh, Google it. So... Um, I was card counting at Imperial Palace, and within like 10 minutes, the amounts I was playing drew all this attention. I had these security guards come behind me, tap me on the shoulder, yeah. and this guy with a bad haircut and bad teeth and uh, smelled like cigarettes said, come with me, sir, and I got... Is this dramatic music? Yeah, no, they're, for playing, they're playing us out. They're playing us oh, out. Oh, no. Got, how, keep going. You, Bottom line, take... I was back roomed. I was stressed the heck out. You probably fear for your safety so your I life, ma- right? I made a lot of money in a year, and then I said, you know what? <laughs> this isn't worth it anymore. And I, I just got burned out. A, a so. lot of us are familiar with the scene from Casino where they take the guy in the back room and smash his hand, but it was, you were fearing that. So kind that of was moment. like the 70s. They, they couldn't physically hurt card counters anymore because I was hoping for, to get hurt for a massive lawsuit or something like oh, wow. that. But they could intimidate you. Okay. And they could really make you feel like you're a criminal and you're, and all you're doing is using simple math to win a game at the casino. Yeah, well, it takes a big mind to be able to do that. I'm not surprised, but I am impressed. I've got war stories. Well, that's a bad term, war (laughs) stories, but I could regale the audience with a lot of run-ins. We'll have you back. Uh, Thank you so much, Greg. Uh, Thank you, Laura. A A plus for everybody but me. I'm giving myself a D minus today uh, just because I want Jack to feel like he still matters to the show. Here now is your quote of the day. Nice shooting, son. What's your name? I mean, I literally got on my knees in front of a TV set watching a football game I bet on, put my hands together and said, God, give me this and I'll never bet again. And as I said Are it, you being serious? The referee raised his arms into the <laughs> sky toward God, and I said, that's it, I'm done. 